Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Sunday, October the 16th, 2022. It is currently 2.58 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. I know it's Sunday afternoon. Maybe maybe you had a wonderful morning at church. I hope you did. I hope you learned so much. At, at Victory Baptist Church, we spent two hours studying the proper distinction between law and gospel, ran into kind of a little bump in the road when we got to the doctrine of repentance, had to do a little bit of refresher, but we I think we got past that pretty well. By the second hour, I think people were we're much more. I think. I think. I think we're all on the same page there. But it was a very important discussion. So we worked through that this evening at Victory Baptist Church. We're going to be right back, trying to finish up at least laying out our twenty-five theses on the proper distinction between law and gospel. So make sure you tune in. But that's what we did at Victory Baptist Church today. So that was a pretty in-depth study, a lot of information. So you know, you could argue, well, this just take it easy, just rest. You don't need to do anything else, but I can't because we are still behind in our study on the book of Amos. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend a little time this afternoon working on Amos chapter 7, uh, and hopefully we can reach, I don't know how far we can go, but we're going to see what we can do with Amos chapter 7. We really need to, if I'm being honest, I really need to dedicate from right now till midnight, trying to finish Amos 7, Amos chapter 8, and Amos chapter 9. I really do need to try to accomplish that uh, because we need to, we need to, well, we need to move to the book synthesis part of our study. If you've been with us, I gave everyone what I am calling the most comprehensive Bible book. I will call it the most comprehensive book Bible study method in the existence of Bible study methods, but it's a comprehensive book Bible study method, and I think it's the most comprehensive, and we've been working through it. Uh, those who've been participating have been using the method and doing the work and sharing their work and sending me uh, pictures of their work, and I hope that you have continued. If you gave up somewhere and doing the actual study method, don't give up at least doing what you can with the book of Amos, right? If somewhere you you fell off, fell behind, just continue to read the book of Amos, continue to do the work that you can. Remember that that the Bible, the comprehensive book Bible study method really is giving you tools to use. If you can't do the Bible study method the way it's properly designed, at least take some of it and use what you can so that you can get the most out of your study for the book of uh, of the book of Amos as possible. Now, if, if you don't remember the book synthesis, this is where you should be getting ready, and really you need to kind of begin this as soon as possible. All right, you need to reread the book two times. For the book synthesis part, remember there there's different parts of what we did. The book background. We, we remember we all we did a, a number of different methods. Well, the last method, the dramatic conclusion of the comprehensive book Bible study method is the book synthesis method. And so the first thing you need to do is reread the book two times. Don't want you taking any notes. Don't want you writing anything down. Just read it. Just just live in it. Just kind of breathe it in. Allow the book of Amos to become a part of you. That, that's so important in Bible study is just living in the text, letting that text become a part of you, understanding it. 
seeing the text through the eyes of the original recipient, seeing the text through the eyes of the original author, really living in it. So reread it two times, then reconsider, write down anything new you saw as if you feel you need to change something from all your previous work, put together a final and detailed outline for the book, give the book a short but descriptive title, and then summarize. Summarize what you believe are the major themes and conclusions of the book. Do not refer to commentaries at this point, for these uh, should be your own insights into God's words. These insights insights could also include observations gained from, from, from your new readings. Uh, write out three lessons you learned from your study and write out three applications. That's all for the book synthesis. So we did a book background. We did a book survey. And we've, we're working on a chapter, we're still working on the chapter analysis, but you need to bring your chapter analysis to a dramatic conclusion soon. You really do so because, um, yeah, we've got, we, we, we're definitely going to have to move on at some point, but we're, I'm still trying to get you through the chapter analysis as far as the podcast is concerned. And what we've been using for our chapter analysis is the teaching of Dr. J. Vernon McGee. We've given permission to use their content. We're grateful for that. And what we're doing is I'm kind of letting you hear his perspective as I'm interrupting and offering my perspective. And we saw some major differences of opinions, part of chapter four, where for some weird reason he seemed to find, I think, the sin of homosexuality. I think it was chapter four. And we're like, how did that? I, I don't, still don't understand that. And then in chapter six, what he thought were the three national sins of Israel, which I don't think the text was saying what he said it was saying. So that was interesting. Now we come to chapter seven. Now, based off the file that I received from Through the Bible Ministries, he spent a whopping 15 minutes on chapter seven, unless the next file contains some, like, chapter seven continued. Maybe it does. I'm hoping, because I don't think there's any way you can make it through Amos chapter seven in 15 minutes. But we're going to see what at least he has to say. If necessary, well, I I, I, th- I just feel like we're we're gonna we're gonna need like four weeks on on Amos chapter seven, but we'll see what we can do. And as always, wherever you are in your study, I please give me an update where you are, what you're struggling with, where you're stuck, what questions you have, anything I can do to help bring this study to somewhat of a satisfying conclusion. You can always email me newsif@yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com. Obviously, those in the Discord channel, just tell me like, hey, this, if, if, if I'm going to feel like this study is satisfying, I need this. I need you to do an episode on this. I need this discussed. I need this question answered. What can I do to bring our study of the book of Amos to some kind of a satisfying conclusion? You let me know if we need to go backwards. It doesn't matter where the your question, your problem, whatever it is, you just tell me and we'll do what we need to do. But are you ready? On this Sunday afternoon here in West Texas, it's, it's cloudy. It's been raining a little bit. Hopefully we're going to get more rain tonight, but it's just kind of like a lazy, well, I wouldn't say fall day because we're in, I guess it feels more like fall today than it probably ever will here in West Texas, but it's a October Sunday afternoon and we're going to sit back. We're going to open up our Bibles to the book of Amos and we're going to see what we can learn from this ancient prophecy is the prophet Amos is from the Southern kingdom sent to the Northern kingdom to call out and to, you know, speak 
of God's coming judgment. Are you ready to put your thinking caps on? Here we go, the late Dr. J. Vernon McGee, as he begins his study of Amos chapter 7, which we're utilizing for our study. Here we go. Now we come to a new division in the book of Amos, the last division. And this is the third major division that we have. And here we have visions of the future. And that's chapter 7 through 9. And these visions are, I think, very remarkable. And they reveal the fact that though this fellow Amos could be called a clodhopper, a country preacher, he could soar to the heights. And some of the visions that the Lord gave him are quite remarkable here. Now, as we come to chapter 7, we see that first vision in the first three verses are the vision of grasshoppers or locusts, if you want to call them that. They're called grasshoppers in our translation, but they were, of course, locusts. Let me read now, beginning with verse 1. Thus hath the Lord God shown unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. And lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. Now, there were two crops that could be gotten off of the land in that day, and it's true today. And the first crop went to the king as taxes. The people actually in that day paid more than one-tenth as a tithe. It's estimated they paid in all about three-tenths, about 33% of what they took from the land. And here you see an example of it. After the king had gotten his, then came in the plague of the grasshoppers or the locusts and got theirs. So there was nothing left for the people who had really done the work. Now, that is a judgment that should have shaken them and waked them up. Verse 2, it came to pass that when they had ceased eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he's small. In other words, we have been cut down to size. You have already cut us down, and now this has so weakened us, we'll not be able to stand And he calls out to God to forgive and help them. And notice, the Lord is still patient with them. Verse 3, the Lord repented of this. It shall not be, saith the Lord. The Lord says, well, I won't do it. I'm not going to weaken you this way. So he gave them a good crop. He got rid of the grasshoppers, got rid of the locusts. Then you would think that the people would return to God. That because of... Just a couple of reminders of of issues we have brought up in our study of Amos up to this point that I think is important. Number one, when it comes to external judgment, punishment, chastisement, whenever it comes to these external things, can external chastisement, external punishment, external judgment, things that happened outside of us, does it truly produce an internal repentance? 
Does it truly change us internally? Oh, it may modify some of our behavior. We may say, oh, we're sorry, and we may do start stop doing certain things. But if you look at the history of Israel, this happens over and over. Remember, we've talked about this, right? There's a time of great blessing and prosperity. Everything is wonderful. They're at ease. Everything is great. Everything. And they kind of become spiritually apathetic, become spiritually complacent. And the next thing you know, they end up going back to idolatry. Then after idolatry, God brings some kind of judgment upon them, some kind of punishment. They repent. They cry out. Next thing they know, they go back to a time of great prosperity and then back to apathy, back to idolatry. So whatever external judgment comes upon them, it doesn't seem to ever produce a lasting true repentance. It's a, it's simply a repentance of external behavioral modification to avoid the punishment. So what truly produces change in our life? Some threat of external punishment or an inward work of God's grace? Well, I've been asking this question. I haven't received a lot of emails discussing it, but I think it's an important question because it's like, hey, this is going to happen or this happened or I'm plague, fire, judgment, judgment, judgment. And and maybe sometimes they're like, oh, we're sorry, but it, it never seems to truly last. How do we understand that? And then this just brings up the subject once again, that how do we perceive the external bad things that happen in life? Now, remember, we've got to be careful because sometimes bad things can happen where you think, oh, no, I'm being judged for my sin. But in the case of Job, he wasn't being judged for his sin. Then sometimes these tragedies can occur. These horrible things can happen. And it is a judgment of God. I I think, and I I keep emphasizing this, we may never know exactly why something is happening. We just know who's in charge of it. God is in charge of whatever happens because he works all things according to his good pleasure and will. So we may never know the why. All we can do whenever something happens is, Lord, you know, look to our lives. If there is sin, confess it. Trust in ultimately Christ, obviously for that forgiveness. But we've got to be very careful saying, oh, the hurricane happened here because there was sin or this happened or this you we we can't speak to that what we can do is like lord this has happened don't worry about what other people co- what what do i need to see what sin do i need to repent of don't worry about anybody else all right so there's the grasshoppers now we move to well the next which is what what comes after the grasshoppers this tender mercy they'd return to him but they did not Notice now you have the vision of the fire, and that's in verses 4 through 6. And a great many who believe that the fire here represents actually a drought, well, I'm perfectly willing to say a drought has to go along with it. When we have dry weather here in Southern California, why the mountains start burning, and here on the West Coast, I don't know how many more years it'll be before we'll burn off everything that we've got out here on our mountains, to my judgment, due to the carelessness of the public today and of cigarette smokers. They say that a great deal has been started by a cigarette. But regardless of that, evidently it's caused by a drought. But the thing that did the destroying, I think, is a literal fire. And I think he makes that clear. Verse 4, Thus hath the Lord God shown unto me, and behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire, and it devoured the great deep and did eat up a part. And now notice, 
Then said I, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? He's small. And again, the Lord repented of this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. And apparently sent rain, and the fires were put out. So, from grasshoppers to fires, there's an apparent, uh, there's an apparent repentance, but then clearly something else happens in another... Ge- so, you go from grasshoppers, you think, oh, there's a repentance, then, well, then th- there's fire. Clearly, they, they return back to their sin, seeming to be the implication. So, we got grasshoppers, we got fire. What do we have next? And again, God heard them. And when it says God repented, it's because of the fact of the prayers of the people. And God is tender-hearted and would not go through with it. The awful thing today, friends, in rejecting Christ and being lost eternally is the fact that you have to do it against a God who is tender-hearted, who's gracious and loving, and He loves you. And uh, sin against that is the awful, dreadful, terrible thing of the present hour. Now, will you notice we have here the vision of the plumb line, verses 7 through 9. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. Now, you will find that used many places in the Word of God. I'm just going to lift out one today. Over in Jeremiah 31, verse 38, it says here, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the city shall be built to the Lord from the tower of Hananiel unto the gate of the corner, and the measuring line, or the plumb line, if you please, shall go forth against it upon the hill Garib, and shall compass about to go at And you're going to find that when we get to the book of Revelation. And every time that you have this vision and this one in Zechariah, that means God is getting ready to judge. In other words, he's measuring up now. Or, as it was in the book of Daniel, you've been put in the balances and you've found warning. When God begins to measure, either in length or in weight, you can be sure of one thing, judgment is the thing that he has in mind. Now, will you notice, verse 9 says, "...and the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will run..." Someone just asked a very important question. Uh, Did the locust and fire actually happen? Or were they just things Amos saw in a vision, then he asked God to have mercy, and they didn't occur? That's a very good question. Was Amos, did Amos just see this? And then Amos, in a sense, interceded on the behalf of the people, right? Amos interceded on the behalf of the people and like, Lord, you know, no. And then God decided not to do so. That's interesting. Um, I would have gone with the idea that it did happen, but now that you've brought it up, I'm now questioning that. Uh, I'm going to look at something really quick. Let me see here if I have it. Give me one second. I have, there we go. Let's go to chapter seven. Let me see here. Um, 
Okay, good. If someone said that's what they're asking, okay, I'm looking here to make make sure. Um, did it actually happen? Um, let's see. I'm, I'm reading some commentaries to see. Um, it, I, I well, we could we could we could really start having to look at the language and trying to kind of look at the is is it using past tense, present tense, future tense? How is it you? What is used here? Um, Yeah, so that doesn't offer me any help. Yeah, I'm trying to look if any of these seem to indicate that it didn't happen. Um, it would be odd. I mean, I guess you could kind of see, hey, hey, Amos, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Okay, no, 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 Lord, 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 we, were, we will repent. But could Amos repent? Would Amos's repentance for the whole nation be sufficient for God then to say, okay? Um, okay, someone said the NIV seems to indicate that it didn't happen. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look this up really quick. Uh, we, we just stumbled upon a very good question, meaning we're never going to finish the book of Amos. Okay, no, no, this is really, this is a good question. I'm going to look here. I'm going to look here. Let's open up. I'm going to open up translations here. All right. Um, the, see, the New International. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested. And just as the crops were coming up, when the Lord had stripped the land clean, I cried. But now see, the, verse 2 in the NIV says, When... They had stripped the land clean. I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. But it, it seems to possibly be that he saw this happening. It says, just as the late crops were coming up, then verse 2, when they had stripped the land clean. So did he just simply see that it was going to happen? God was preparing it. God showed Amos. And then Amos was like, no, 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 don't do this. Don't do this. Don't, don't. We, we will repent. And like, okay, I won't do that. All right, next. Okay, no, no, I won't do that. Next. Uh, but then, okay, go, I'll go to verse three. So the Lord relented. Oh, this will not happen. That's a good point. Okay, there you go. There you go. I was like, verse two seems to use language like it has. Yeah, the NIV definitely. Well, the New Living Translation as well. Uh, the New Living Translation says the Lord relented from this plan. That, okay, and then the, the New American Standard, the Lord changed his mind. I don't like that wording, but I understand. Changed his mind. If you say repentance in a roundabout way, that's what you're saying as well. But I know we have to get into how do we understand that in light of God's sovereignty and omnipresence and our omniscience. But okay, um, the Lord changed his mind. It shall not be. So I think maybe you're right. The I think the I mean the the best thing maybe to do here is to, is to read it that way. I'm I'm glad someone pointed this out. Maybe the best way to read it is simply to say these things that God showed Amos that these things were going to happen, but they never happened. We have other places in Amos where God said, "Hey, I did this to you. I did this to you, and you would not repent. I did this to you and did this to you, and you would not repent." But here in chapter seven. These are things he never even, it appeared, maybe even actually they never came to pass because he showed Amos and Amos, in a sense, interceded for the people and on behalf of the people. That 
I think that I think that may be onto something. Well, let's at least put that down as a, as a very good possibility. I think you, at least according to some of the translations, they definitely put it this way. It has to be a possibility because some of the translations definitely go that direction. I'm going to open up my uh, the Spreaker app really quick so I don't miss any more comments. Um, I, okay, good. I think that I think let's at least put that down as a high probability, like like a a, a very good probability that that's the case. I don't know if that would greatly impact the, put it this way. I'll say this. You can consider both interpretations, both interpretations, and see if one has a profound impact on how you understand chapter seven. Right? I was going, in my mind, the way I was going is based off the previous chapter, chapters, where God said, hey, I did this to you and you would not repent. I did this and you would not return to me. I did this and you would not return to me. I did this and you would not return to me. I was thinking it more that way. Hey, he did all of these things. They still would not return to him. But he may have done certain things, but in this particular case, he didn't do those things. All right, I, 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 I like it. I like it. I like it. Well, well, We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. All right. Now we have the plumb line. Okay. So we have possibly the, we'll call it the vision of grasshoppers. Judgment that was coming. No, no, no. I know. Thank you. Uh, someone just said, thank you. I don't think it's a, it's majorly impactful, but I wondered about it. Well, it's put it this way. Even if it doesn't profoundly change our understanding of chapter seven, it's definitely, 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 definitely important to make sure how we understand what exactly happened. Someone says, even if it doesn't have a profound impact on the text, understanding, does it impact an understanding of God or are there enough examples of him changing his mind? Well, there's there's a lot of examples of him changing his, quote unquote, changing his mind. I said, I don't like that use of term, that terminology, but I understand. Um there, there, there seems to be examples of that uh, going all the way back, I believe, to Exodus. Maybe even in Genesis, I think we have it. So, um, but in either case, whatever happens here, um, it's definitely interesting. I'm trying to think. I'm, right now, what I'm doing is I'm, 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 I'm talking, but my mind is going, what are all the possible implications of this? To me, the biggest implication is, how was Amos able, in a sense, to repent on behalf of the nation in such a way that kept God from doing this? That, that's the part that I'm trying to wrap my mind around. Hey, because, I mean, if you look at the way it's worded, it's like, um, I said, well, but, but it does say, I said, so it is Amos speaking, Lord God, please forgive. How will Jacob survive? It is literally... Amos interceding for the people. Look, look, you can't do this. They won't be able to survive. You can't do, please don't do this. They won't be able to survive. It's almost a little bit like Abraham praying, uh, you know, if, hey, Lord, if there's this many righteous people, don't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if there's this many righteous people. But I think ultimately what God is saying, okay, I won't do this. I won't do this, but... There, there's, there's <laughs> judgment is still coming, right? It's like, okay, okay, Abraham, I won't do it if you can find 40 righteous people. Uh, but he knows ultimately he's still destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, right? He still knew he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So it is kind of interesting how we understand that. 
All right. We're definitely going to have to come back to that. that. That's good stuff. Okay. Thank you so very much. See, uh, I, I've said it before. Sometimes the listeners of this program are far smarter than I am because I, I was allowing previous chapters to, to negatively, to influence my interpretation of chapter seven, which is what you're not supposed to do. So the listeners did a better job than me because I was allowing, oh, well, in the past, I did this and I did this and you wouldn't repent. And I was so caught up in that idea. Does external chastisement cause one to repent? When I see this, I'm like, well, see, they, the grasshoppers and they wouldn't repent. So then it brought the fire. But no, this, this seems to be, he showed Amos these things. This is almost like a, just a, a thing between Amos and God. And but but even though the, he didn't bring judgment, he brings the plumb line. He's going to measure. There's a measurement getting ready to take place, and that measurement almost always brings judgment. Let's see what they. Uh, let's go on with Dr. J. Vernon McGee, and let's see where we'll see if, how we can get this to an end, and we can maybe work our way back to some of these points. Eyes against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Now, in other words, God says that Jeroboam will not have peace. God's principle is, there's no peace, saith my God, to the wicked, and Jeroboam's not going to have peace. Now, that is the vision of the plumb line. Now we have wedged in here that little... Okay, now, he went through that really quick. He went through the plumb line really quick. I'm going to read it from the translation I have here because I think it's interesting. Okay, there's the locust or the grasshoppers. There's the fire. That doesn't happen. But then he's like, okay, the Lord was standing there by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord asked, what do you see, Amos? I replied, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, I'm setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will no longer spare them. Okay, I'll spare them the grasshoppers. I'll spare them the fire. Okay, (laughs) but I'm going to measure them. They're going to come up short, right? And then he guess what? Uh, I will no longer spare them. Israel's high places will be deserted. Israel's sanctuaries will be in ruins. I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. So, hey, I'm not going to do these things, uh, but I'm going to, but I'll measure them. You, you can try to intercede and say, don't bring judgment. Okay, okay, I won't bring that. But here's the measuring line. They'll, they still fall short. All right. <laughs> judgment is still coming. So that's, I don't know. How do you do you read that in a discouraging way or frightening way? I that that's I guess with the chastisement that did come upon them, and with the chastisement God spared them on behalf of Amos, it did it did it did not stop the inevitable. They fell fell short. They did not measure up. They were un, in a sense uneven. They weren't level in their ways, and judgment came upon them. All right, now, after that, we've got the fire, we've got the grasshoppers, the fire, the plumb line. Well, we have this, we have a priest from Bethel who sent word to King Jeroboam of Israel saying, right, with this, we got a, we got this something happens between Amos and a priest. What, what, what happens here? Historic interlude that was very personal that introduced us to Amos. And I considered that at the very beginning Now it fits into the story here very well. Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword 
and Israel shall be led away captive out of their own land. Now, if you read back here, you'll find out that Amaziah lied. And to me, one of the tragic things that is in the church today is the way that you're misquoted. I try to make it as simple and as plain as I possibly can, and then I discover that people misquote and make you say something you have not said at all. Now, sometimes this is done through just not really understanding or failing to comprehend. Again, it's done deliberately. Now, Amaziah here just went in and deliberately lied about Amos. Amos did not say that Jeroboam would perish with the sword, because he didn't. He said, "...and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword," which means there would come warfare. And it did come. And they were finally taken into captivity to Assyria. And then this liberal preacher, for that's what he was, this priest here of the altar of the golden calf, why, he came to Amos, and we've seen that, and he insulted him. He tried to call him an ignoramus, and I'd like to know where the books are that Amaziah wrote. We've had one preserved now for a little over 2,500 years, written by Amos. But he calls him a country rube. He told him, why, you're not fit to speak here in the king's chapel. We want soft words said here. We don't want to offend anybody. And as a result, why, Amos answered, and we've already seen that. And he did it in such a proper manner. It shows he's a moderate man. He wasn't giving out wild utterances of a prophecy monger. He was no fanatic at all. And Amos now is going to make the strongest statement that he's ever made. Now, I want you to notice that Amos is a very reserved man. He confesses. He said, I'm no prophet. I recognize that. I've never been to the seminary. And I'm not even a prophet's son. I'm from the country. I'm a country boy. I have no background whatsoever. I'm a herdman, a gatherer of sycamore fruit. But the Lord took me as I was following the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. And I think that a man should be very sure that he has a call from God if he's going to be in the ministry. If there's any doubt in his mind, he ought not to go in the ministry. I've heard it put like this, that if you can do anything else, why don't go in the ministry? Well, I don't like it quite like that, because a great many of us could have done something else, by the way, and might have preferred doing it. The important thing is, did God call you? And if God has called you, then may I say that we ought not to let anything stand in the way. Now, he gives a prophecy, and he has a prophecy for Amaziah. And I want to tell you, here is strong medicine, what he says to this man. Now, I hear a great many people say to me, Dr. McGee, you're very harsh at times on certain people or certain groups or certain churches. And I'm not really against any of these. I can truly say I carry no bias or hatred in my heart at all against any of these that I mention. I'm trying to say what the Word of God says. The argument given to me is that as a Christian, 
You ought to be nice and sweet. You ought not to indulge in this type of thing of giving out that which is harsh. It's love today, you know, and love, love, love. You want to listen to Amos now as he talks to Brother Amaziah? Will you listen to him? Verse 16, I'll read first of chapter 7 of Amos. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus saith the Lord. Now, he says, he has a word from God to this man Amaziah. Now, will you listen to this? Thy wife shall be an harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall go into captivity away from his land. Now, my friend, that is a very disturbing prophecy. And it's a very strong prophecy. And it was a true prophecy. Because when Assyria came down, this is what they did with the women. They were made harlots. And the sons and daughters were destroyed, and those that were not were taken into captivity. And this old priest of Baal, of the golden calf, he was taken into Assyrian captivity. And again, we could say, I'm sure his word would have been on his deathbed that of old Cardinal Woolsey, who served Henry VIII. And if he hadn't have gotten sick and died, he would have been taken to the tower and his head would have been taken off. But he played politics with Henry VIII and tried to, you know, not really tell him what the word of God had to say. And as a result, on his deathbed, he could say, if I had only served my God like I served my king, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I'm sure old Amaziah could say that. If we don't give out the word of God, those of us that are called to the ministry today, there's no reason for us to point our fingers at Washington and say that you're failing up yonder in Washington, you're a bunch of politicians and you're jeopardizing our nation today, may I say to you, my friend of the ministry, you're not giving out the Word of God. There is no traitor like that in this land. If you're called to be a minister, you're called to be a minister of the Word of God, and you're called to give that out. And if you're not giving that out, you are a traitor to the cause of Christ today. May I say, that's pretty strong also. I'm sure I'll get some letters on that, but what we are interested in are letters. We hope all of you will write. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to get some letters on that. And we're interested in letters, so go ahead and write. Yeah, I, I know what that feels like. I know I'm going to get some emails on that, but go ahead and email because you always know when that, those, that's, whoa, that is some seriously strong language. That is some seriously strong language. That That's a, a frightening end to that because, yeah, I mean, when, when Syria comes in, those things happen and it's horrible and it's, it's, it's hard to understand. So I guess what we could see is that previously in Amos, God says, hey, I brought this upon you, upon this, and you would not return to me. 
chapter seven. He's like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and bring grasshoppers or locusts. I'm going to bring fire. Amos is like, no, 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 no. Don't, 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 don't. We'll be, there'll be nothing left. Okay. I won't do that. All right. But I'm going to measure them. Okay. I won't, I won't bring judgment like that. Okay. All right. But I'm going to measure them. All right. Oh, look, look, they don't measure up. Look, they're not level. Look, look, the plumb line shows that they're, they're, they're still crooked. They're it's still not right. So I'm going to bring this. I may not bring the locust. I may not bring the fire, but I'm going to bring that judgment as he lays out for them. And then, well, Amaziah is like, hey, 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 no, 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 you, he's causing trouble. Hey, go away. We don't want you prophesying here anymore. And then Amos gives one more prophecy about what is ultimately going to happen to Israel and to Amaziah. And that ends chapter seven. Now, chapter eight begins with another vision, sometimes referred to as the fourth vision, a basket of summer fruit. And we'll have to look at that next time. All right. I think that's good. It is. Those who are listening, do you have any questions? I'm going to go with uh, what was suggested by one of our listeners, that these things did not happen. Amos saw them, and before they happened, got, quote, unquote, relented, repented, and did not carry them out. I think that's a, a more accurate way of looking at it. And I think some of the other translations carry that out, but I think it makes sense. My mind was... My mind was prejudiced by the previous. Well, previously, the God has said he did this and he did this and they did this and it wouldn't repent. Here's more of this. He did this and this and they wouldn't repent. But I, I, I think it's, um, yeah, I, I think, I think that this, that these things didn't happen makes some sense. Now, maybe I, I'm willing to change my mind if someone thinks differently. It would be interesting to listen to review a bunch of sermons and see which way people go with this. Do, I mean, I, I mean, uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee definitely went with the idea that these things did happen and they would not repent. That the grasshoppers came and then he made them go away. The fire came and then he sent the rain or the drought came and the dry and, the, and then he sent rain. So he, uh, he definitely went with the idea that it did happen. But I, I, think I, I think the language here may actually work. I don't know, maybe a translation issue uh, but we we will see. If anyone has any questions about that or disagreements on that, email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. All right, we have two chapters to go. We have two chapters to go. So start your book synthesis. If for some reason you in chapter seven, you went with, maybe in your work on chapter seven, you went with these things happened and then God stopped you may want you may want to reconsider what you put down and now change that a little bit to to reflect the fact that maybe these things did not happen. There were just things that Amos saw, and then he, in a sense, interceded on the behalf of the people. God relented from bringing that, but then says, "Okay, okay, okay, Amos, I'm not going to bring the grasshoppers of the fire, but I'm bringing the measuring line. I'm bringing the plumbing, the plumb line." And uh, guess what? They're 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 going to still judgment still coming. Judgment is still coming, and it came. So a very sobering chapter, and those are some harsh words there at the end. All right, nobody's posting any questions. I'm going to assume that we halfway covered this pretty good. I apologize for not even considering that. That was my own fault. I I should have caught that, but I didn't. All right, 
Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Um, we will, 6 p.m., we'll be live again with law, uh, considering law and gospel. I don't know if I'll do anything else tonight, and if I don't, tomorrow, when we start tomorrow, the first thing, we, well, first thing we'll do tomorrow is the book of Amos, chapter 8, and we'll try to do eight, uh, chapter 8. We'll, we're gonna do, we'll put it this way. One way or the other, we will finish Amos, chapter 8 and 9, no later than 7 p.m. tomorrow. That unless something happens, internet goes down, something happens. That is the plan. By 7 p.m. tomorrow, we will finish chapter 8 and 9 of Amos. That's the plan. Oh, and if you haven't uh, looked at the curriculum for Amos chapter five, please do that. I think I think it'll be worthwhile. And I don't. And then anything else they have on Amos and the curriculum, just at least review it because I think it will just add to what you have done. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great Sunday. God bless.